This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Obviously, we want to get everyone back in the lineup. That's, you know, we know what we can do when, when we have that. But, you know, you got to weather the storm a little bit. I, you know, I know Pally's been grinding through something lately and probably just more precautionary. Don't need to get it uh, dinged up any more than it is. But obviously, Mac being out is, is a hole in our back end. But Bogo being back, I thought he had a really good game, skated well tonight, was physical. Yes, yes, Stephen. I I understand that Bogo had a solid game, but let's face it. This was about the big guns coming through in a big, big way, and specifically Nikita Kucherov getting a hat trick as the Lightning take care of business last night in Buffalo. 6-1, a very impressive win for Tampa Bay. I am Greg Linelli, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin, Steve Versnick with us as well. One hour of hockey talk for you. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio, we are going to touch on Kucherov's big night. We also have a fun question for you, and I think you might be able to say it happens to be on the Tampa Bay's Lightning team, and that would be who is the best Russian hockey player today? Forget about who's the best player in the game today. There are a number of Russian players who are having tremendous seasons, and I know Kucherov hasn't played a ton, and Vasi is a goaltender, and, and maybe some people don't lump him in, but I think you could make a, a pretty strong case either one of those guys would hold that uh, mantle. So we'll see uh, what you think on the show today. But, partner, let me bring you into the broadcast. And uh, that was a lot of fun last night. The the big guns, a little too much for Buffalo. But I will say this, speaking of, of Vassy, as we kind of get into this game a little bit, I thought in many ways taking that 30,000-foot view after the game – Buffalo had some pretty good chances in that game. They didn't have a ton of shots, and particularly in that first period, Dave, the Lightning came away with the lead, but I thought that's really when Vasilevsky might have been at his best. It's not how many saves you make, it's when you make them, and people are going to look at the score and say, oh, this was an easy cakewalk for the Lightning 6-1, and maybe to a certain extent, partner, they would be right, but when the game was close, I thought Vasi made some really key saves on a, a couple of glorious scoring chances for Buffalo that, you know, I think looking back on it, you might have been able to pinpoint that and say that might have been, you know, a turning point in the game. Buffalo not converting, and then the Lightning did. Well, you remember the last time the teams played in Buffalo, the Sabres won 5-1, to one, but that was not a dominating performance by the Sabres. What they yeah. did was... They took advantage of their scoring opportunities. They didn't have a lot of them, but the ones they got were really good, and they buried them. Remember, Olofsson scored on a juicy rebound at the beginning yeah. of the game into an open net. Drake Kajula broke a 1-1 tie with a breakaway goal late second, and then Hinnestroza made it 3-1 following a turnover. That was, that was less of like a tremendous scoring chance, but it was still a, a significant mistake by the Lightning where they turned the puck over right at their own blue line, and Hinnestroza made them pay. But it's not like the Sabres had, you know, 40 shots in that game. It's just that they converted on the chances that they got. That did not happen last night. Now, had they, would it have changed the final score? Not certain it would have because the Lightning scored six. They could have scored 14. Right. I mean, they had so many prime scoring chances in the middle of the ice that really, between Lukanen, who played the first period, and Subban, who played the second and third, like they came up with 
eight, nine, ten really good saves along the way, and they still allowed six. So this was a mostly really, really good defensive performance by the Lightning with a couple of isolated breakdowns that mostly came early in the game, and when those happened, Vasilevsky stopped them. And this was a Lightning team that was really consistently good at creating prime scoring chances for themselves. And just like you talk about the 30,000-foot view, Greg, I kind of look at the last – let's go back to the the Christmas break. I mean, we could probably go back before then. But but since Christmas, we have seen teams deal with lineups affected by injury and, and COVID protocol issues. All teams. I mean, basically across the board, including the Lightning. And isn't it interesting that – some teams are able to handle those absences and keep plowing forward. And maybe they're not playing quite as well or dialed in as they would be if they had their full lineup, but they're not having a massive drop-off. But just in the games the Lightning have played, like the Bruins were without Charlie McAvoy and Jake DeBrusque, and they look pretty good. <laughs> they look pretty good yeah. against the Lightning. Right. They look pretty good in their next game against Washington. You know, when the Lightning saw the Panthers and lost 9-3, I'm trying to remember. I think the Panthers are fairly healthy at that point. So maybe that's not a great example. But then you look at Columbus and Buffalo. And those teams, the Lightning just shredded them. And they were missing players. Columbus was missing Wierenski, in addition to some other guys. And Buffalo was was a little bit short last night. They had to rely on some younger players. And I think you have made the point that, you know, during this portion of the season, as teams are dealing with Omicron, you're going to have to play some games with a different sort of lineup. I think what we're seeing is, the teams that have a little bit more of a soft underbelly are having a much, much harder time Yeah. than the teams that, that can rely on more depth, and I'll include the Lightning in, in that list because you know they did pretty well with both their goalies out of the lineup, right? <laughs> and it is some other guys who are still out. It exposes an organization's depth Maybe in a way that they weren't anticipating. You know, it's one thing, Dave, to, to sit there and say, look, we've got five guys out with injuries, you know, a leg injury, an arm injury, maybe a shoulder mm-hmm. injury. And we've seen some of that happen. But then you factor in the COVID protocol situation and you're seeing, you know, a, a lot of regulars out of the lineup and not just one, but, you know, two, three, four. And I think when you're in a cap era, you cannot address those deficiencies efficiently. And now you have to go down to your minor leagues and bring up guys who might not be ready to play. And I think it does put some, in many ways, unwarranted pressure on those organizations because I don't think, in some ways, it's probably not fair to them to put them in that spot because it almost seems like we're just not in a natural a natural situation in the sports world because, guys, there's a protocol in place for a virus not necessarily you know injury so you you understand that going in but 
what it does reinforce is that the Lightning have built themselves a nice bubble, I think, that has allowed them to bring guys in for the most part and not miss a beat. Now, understand, I think it also speaks to the star power that the Lightning have. Now, that may seem like an obvious point, mm -hmm. but understand, Dave, if Akutrov's not in the lineup, the Lightning had a Steven Stamkos that they could rely on. And, you know, I think what we're finding out is that not everybody has as many star players sprinkled throughout their lineup that the Tampa Bay Lightning have. I mean, it's one thing to sit there and, and lose a, a few third and fourth liners, and that, that certainly can hurt your team. But if you have Stamkos for most of the year, if you have a Vasilevsky in net for most of the year, a headman, and then you factor in the really good role players. And I say role players at this point. I mean, I think if Andre Palat goes to another team, it, he might be looked at differently. Maybe he should be looked at differently now. I mean, the guy's got 15 goals. Mm -hmm. Fastest in his career to 15 goals. I mean, it's goals. incredible. Thank and, you, Brian Burns, for yes. that note. I didn't realize that. And by the way, the goal he scored last night was a tremendous one. And that was probably the only blemish on the night for Tampa Bay. You know, we'll find out what his status is. It sounded like, partner, that... It was more precautionary that yeah. he's been dealing with something, and they just said, "Look, we're up. Let's let's be smart about this." And you know what? Honestly, Dave, that that's a really good decision because you don't see that decision a lot of times with hockey players. It's kind of, you know, we, we've talked about this before. Late in the season, do you sit guys who are banged up? And it's just not in the in the DNA of hockey players or even coaches to sit players if there's an opportunity to play. But the Lightning mm -hmm. were smart. And I think they're looking at the big picture, which they should. But, you know, you're having Pilat, who, you know, dare I say, is he having a career year? We'll find out. Kalorn is is having a good year. So the Lightning have dealt with these problems because they have really good depth. And maybe that's something we didn't realize before the season started. But, Dave, I think it also speaks to they do have more star players, I think, than other teams do. And those star players even if there's just two or three in the lineup at a time compared to maybe four or five because of protocols and injuries, they're playing at such a high level that it's allowed them to overcome some of these obstacles. And I'll keep harping on this, and I think this might be my Vasilevsky um, portion of the show when I compare this guy, and I've said it for a while now. Uh, a while, I, I think the last couple of weeks, but it's still relatively early in the year. I, I think Steven Stamkos does need to be in consideration for some MVP votes. I mean, he's he's playing at a very high level. And I think, Dave, he has allowed them to stay at this level because of what he's been able to accomplish this year. And it's been fun to watch. And he had, a, he had another big night last night, as did the other big guns yeah. for Tampa Bay. But it's it, it's been fun watching this guy because I kind of like we didn't know if their depth was going to be as good as it was this year because of some uncertainties. I don't know if we expected Stamkos to be this good. That kind of changes a little bit how maybe some people would look at the Lightning if Stamkos is going to be the Stamkos of, you know, three, four, five years ago. Well, he had three more points last night, including a really nice goal from the slot. So there's no question that he is having... I won't call it a career year. He's had some phenomenal years yeah, really earlier has. in his career, but certainly his his most consistently productive regular season in a few years. 
And he's had some good point years in recent years, but I feel like he leaned a lot on the power play to get a lot of those points. He's had way more even strength points relative to his overall point total this year to this point. Quick note on Pallotta. I just looked at the shift chart. His last shift came past the halfway point of the second period. So at that point, the game was already 4 nothing. And it's not like his last shift was 10 seconds. It was a regular shift. Yeah, you're right. So that, that adds to the narrative where it's 4 nothing. Andre, take the rest of the night off. It's really smart. Yeah. It really is. I mean, I think you would agree, and I don't know when we can pinpoint this, and it's it's not a knock on Stamkos because Stamkos, you know, I, I – <laughs> I had fun with this question. This was a while back when when we were doing Lightning Power Play Live that, you know, if you were a – does a good goal score, Dave, equate to a great player? And I think Stamkos for a long time was considered a great goal scorer. He still is. But when you put up 60, does it – do you overlook any other maybe deficiencies in your game if you can fill the net? And if you can fill the net, and that's basically what you do, are you still considered a great player or a great goal scorer? Or are they just intertwined? Mm-hmm. I, it's a fun thing to debate. You know, you look at Alex Ovechkin. I don't think anybody's going to confuse Ovechkin for being a great two-way player. But when you score the amount he scores, uh, do you just look at it and say, yeah, I mean, that's just he's a great player. And he's a great player because he just scores a lot of goals. And, and maybe that's a flawed way of looking at it. Because when we look at a, a, somebody who's a, a tremendous player – you want to look at it and say, okay, do they play a 200-foot game? And maybe that's not realistic for a lot of people. Maybe it's you do something really, really well. Maybe it's you're a great assist man. Maybe you're a great face-off guy. And maybe we look at that and we judge you a bit differently. Who knows? But I will say this. I think with Stamkos, and I'm not sure when we can pinpoint it, Dave, it feels like he is a more complete player than he's ever been in his career. And I think that is noticeable. And for me, that has elevated his skill set in my eyes to being one of those players. I think when you look at the Bergerons, maybe the Crosby's the way Stamkos is playing now, I think is comparable in some ways to how those guys have helped their teams over the years. And that's not to say Stamkos hasn't because he was an elite goal scorer for all those years. You obviously Mm -hmm. had to account for him, but Dave, I feel like when he's been healthy and maybe it's been during these cup runs. And again, I know he's had to deal with some injuries and some unfortunate circumstances, it just feels like he's contributing more in games, in wins, than before. Even though, you know, he was putting up 60 goals a year, I think the impact he's had on this team has been just as impactful based off of, I think, his versatility as a hockey player right now. And that's unusual. Well, I keep going back to what we've heard him say and other people said about him is that, you know, he's healthy. Yeah, and he was and, really able to take yeah. advantage, even though it was a shorter off season, take advantage of that healthy, albeit shorter off season, to train the way he needed to. He's got a lot of jump in his step. He really does. I, I don't know if we anticipated that. And again, is it just as simple as he's healthy? And if that's the case, my goodness, then then yeah, the skill set really never declined, partner. It was it was just a matter of can you fix whatever ailments are bothering you during the off season? Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like that's exactly what happened. And if that's the case, 
again, it I, I think it it adds another layer of star power to this Lightning team in addition to the depth that I'm not sure many people thought was still left in Stamkos' tank. And I just think it's fun to watch. Man, I'm embracing this because the guy has been a consistent performer. Maybe, you know, next to Pilat and Kalorn, you could make the argument up at the forward position, maybe the most consistent performer this year. And, and maybe he's been the, the most consistent offensive player for the Lightning. But if it's just a matter of him being healthy, wow. It's it's unfortunate that we, we weren't able to see him healthy because of the injuries in the previous couple because this is this has been really fun to watch. And it's given John Cooper, I think, another another player he throws out there and, and knows that look not only is he going to score goals but he can he can defend he can win some face-offs and he can set them up too well i'm looking at the the scoring race right now stampkos is sixth in the league with 44 points now he has had the benefit i guess we would say of having played more games than many of the players around him now some of that is due to the fact that some of the players around him have missed time due to injury <laughs> and some of it is due to the fact that the players around them are on teams that still have to make up games so we'll right. see how things play out where the dust settles but you look at the top three players Dreisaitl, McDavid and Ovechkin 53 53 52 points Stamkos is at 44 so he's he's nine points behind the leaders eight points behind Ovechkin they did a lot of their damage early in the year, especially the two Oilers. Because as we've talked about, things have dried up for Edmonton. And while Ovechkin has probably had a more consistent year than, than I'll say Dreisaitl and McDavid, in that Dreisaitl and McDavid are still contributing points, but they jumped out to a huge lead in October as the Oilers were scoring like crazy and things have, things have dried up a little bit for them. Ovechkin has probably been a little bit more consistent in his point production, but his goal scoring was way more at the start of the year. For sure. It felt like he was scoring every game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's got 24 goals this year, so, you know, he's having a terrific year all around, but I kind of feel like Stamkos has been, no pun intended here, like even Steven, right? He's just been like a steady burn. I think Burnsy, boy, I'm really having fun with words right now aren't I Burnsy Brian Burns has the stat that Stamkos has picked up a point in 28 of the 37 games in which he has played I mean, that's, that's a, a that's really consistently great yeah consistent know? level that he has brought night in night out and he said to do it with a lot of his compatriots out of the lineup certainly Kucherov for much of the year well, I think that's and point for fourteen games. I mean, Dave, I, I think that's kind of the point. Now, I know, I know. Yeah, that know, is the point that you're making. Ovechkin, Ovechkin didn't have Backstrom for a good portion of the year for sure, right. and I, I don't know how much that would have affected his his performance because he's he's been performing at a, at such a high level. And I think you look at his age and you say that what he's doing is pretty impactful. In fact, if he you only were to has look at six me, power play goals this year, yeah, did I mean, you realize I, that. And, no, I did not. Ovechkin. Realize that. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. And I think you know, look, uh, without seeing all of the Capitals games, uh, understanding. I mean, I think we understand the impact Ovechkin has on the ice when he wants to also be a a great forechecker. He can. I mean, he lays the thump. I don't know how much he's doing it now, but if you were to sit there and say, look, you know, McDavid for obvious reasons is is getting some some chatter for MVP. You could put Ovechkin up there because of the start he had and the goals he's put up. 
I mean, two of those three guys throw Stamkos in there are over the age of thirty, and mm-hmm. I, it's just it's a it is a young man's league, Dave, and it's fun to watch some of the older guys play with the consistency that they have, and I, I think that's been fun. The other thing too is I, I think with Stamkos, he hasn't had the luxury of playing, you know, whether it's on the power play with with Kucherov, or really with Braden points. Yeah, I mean, and 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 look that, in in some ways you could say, look his. His consistently high level of play has factored into some other guys who have performed well this year, whoever he's played with. So I I, I do think there is, and you know what, uh, you can always kind of get the gauge of the national media where they're headed with some of their questions and who who is at games and and maybe the angle because we're all exposed now to the Zoom call. You could kind of get, and I don't even know if he's he's written anything yet. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he already hasn't. Dan Rosen starts writing mm-hmm. something about Steven Stamkos. Yeah, he he's doing already. a story on. Stamkos. Yeah, and so maybe that's starting to pick up some some traction. Look, as people know, at least for the Lightning, I, I think we're a good two, three, four weeks ahead of maybe some of the storylines that are out there, and that's kind of what we do, anyways. But if that starts to pick up. Um, that that's going to be well deserved because I think it's it's really been fun to watch, but it's had a trickle down effect on I think the rest of the Lightning players, and you know it's it's been nice to see, and I'm not sure we anticipated all of that. The other thing too is you know just getting back to Vassy, I was impressed, and we talked about this with Mike Carrington, the, their rookie yesterday, Quinn, right? I mean he had mm-hmm. some very good looks early on, and the stops he had that two Vassie open made, nets. Yeah, and well, one wasn't on Vassy, right? Was it Foot? Well, Hedman blocked one in Hedman, the first yeah, period. Yes, and Foot blocked one. So kudos. Now, I don't know how that puck didn't go in 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 the third. And on top of that, Quinn had three other shots. Yeah. that Vasilevsky did stop. Yep. Quinn is going to be one of these guys, and maybe I shouldn't say this because I've seen him all of one game. I think he's going to be one of these guys who is going to end up with, like, two or three points in a game and has the puck in his stick for, like, less than 30 seconds for the game. He's going to be one of these players, I think, I may be wrong about this, who gets lost, knows where to go on the ice to get open, gets the puck in his stick, and and he can really shoot it. He's going to get shots off and, and score. But he's not like going to be a transporter like Braden Point, which is why maybe it's good they put him with Dylan Cousins, who does yeah. seem to be a transporter. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. But we've seen players like this, right, who kind of like lurk in the weeds, and then all of a sudden there they are, and the puck is there, and they got a great scoring chance, right? But from a play-by-play standpoint, you're not calling his name a lot because he doesn't actually have the puck. That, you much. know what that is? That's a great release and a great scoring. Yeah. Game. You know, when you don't need. I'm not being critical of him. No, I just I, think that this point. is the sort that's of player point. he is who is going to be really productive because he's smart. He knows where to go on the ice. Phil said the puck tends to follow him around, which I agree in that he finds these these loose spots in the offensive zone and the puck comes to him. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. I think that's a fair point. And. He's probably one of those guys that maybe needs a playmaker with him to get some of those chances. But look, all it takes for a guy like that, as you said, is mm-hmm. you know maybe a loose puck 
he's right there and he capitalizes. But he, and he I looks may impressive. Be, I may be wrong, Greg. I mean, I'm basing it on one game. He didn't have yeah. the puck a lot last night, yeah. but even with that, he had six shot attempts, had two open nets, and three more shots than Vasilevsky stopped. Yeah, no doubt. No, it's it's a fair point. It's a fair point. And I think Buffalo, you can see some of the pieces starting to be put together. You know, it's unfortunate uh, Lukanen got hurt. Um, and Subban, you know, I was talking about this with Chief. It, felt, it feels like Subban has been around forever. Mm-hmm. Hasn't played a ton of games, Dave. But if, I remember he had that games. great game against the Lightning in was it Chicago. Chicago? I was going to say he won, right? He won that. Yeah. Game. Was that a shootout? Did that end up going yeah. to a shootout? Yeah, yeah it was that, a shootout. But doesn't it feel like Subban's been around forever? But he hasn't really played that much. He's kind of been bounced around, and I, I don't know. I'm sure that hasn't helped his development. And I, I look, I don't know what what the scouting report necessarily is on Subban. We have seen him be pretty good, but for whatever reason, when given the opportunity, maybe at the NHL level, he hasn't hasn't capitalized on it. And and the fact that other teams are willing to take a, a flyer on him means that I think there's still value there. But I just it's it's just a weird it, when you look at Subban's career. A lot of teams, not a lot of games at the NHL level, and you know take that for what it is. But um, you know the Lightning were able to to solve both goaltenders last night. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, please do at Bolts Radio and. Uh, Phil's three stars last night, Dave. Kucherov, Stamkos, Sorelli. Sorelli, good to see him continue to score goals mm-hmm. a little bit here. And we Ten this goals now. now. Yeah, what is that? Six players now for the Lightning, double-digit goals. And, you know, we talk about this depth scoring, and, and what does that mean? Sorelli's a big part of that. You know, I, th- I think there is some some upside there with his offense that it still needs to be tapped. You know, we know what he can do defensively for sure, but I think he's another one of those guys, and it was a I thought that some really good passing on some of the Lightning's goals last night, Dave, and the one that Sorelli did score, how about the play Kalorn made in his own zone, getting the puck mm-hmm. up to Sergachev, who then, you know, that was that was a simple pass, but it was the right pass, and Sorelli buried it, and I, I thought on a couple of different occasions, the Lightning, their breakouts were pretty good, and then, of course, how about Perry's pass? Yeah, Kucherov to make it four nothing. Corey Perry. Uh, what's interesting about Corey Perry, and again, we've we've talked about this why he's been so impactful, particularly in a bottom six playing with Pat Maroon. His skill sets are still there. I mean, it, it, that pass we've seen some of the finish. Again, I, he's one of those guys we talk about veteran players like Stamkos and Ovechkin having the years that they're having. Corey Perry's not on that level. But, Dave, I think he's been a lot better offensively than I can remember. And for a player of his pedigree, but at his age at this point, what you're getting in the bottom six, I think is something that I'm not sure the Lightning anticipated. They were anticipating a certain amount of production from him based off what they've seen from him in the playoffs the last two years. But watching him, again, this is more of the eye test. I mean, he knows how to finish. The hands are still there. This isn't a case of a guy getting older and the hands are slowing down. I mean, he still has a nose for where to go, but he's making plays. And that one over to, to Kucherov for uh, the goal to make it 4 nothing was just very vintage Corey Perry. Patience in front and, and being able to feed his, his partner there. And it shows that Kucherov knows how to play with anybody, too, right? Well, that is like, He hasn't spent a lot of time in the ice with Corey Perry. Very little time. They were together on the five-on-three against the Bruins. 
That'd be one of the few times that they've been on the ice at the same time this year as teammates. Yeah. And I think Kucherov in the postgame said, I, I, I kind of waited to see what he was going to do. Yeah. Kucherov still knew how to get open. And, and what I'm saying is that was a play made not because these two guys had a lot of experience and chemistry playing with each other. They're just both elite hockey players who now want to make plays in the offensive zone. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Elite hockey players. At least there's still a. You're you're seeing some elite skill from Corey Perry this year, and maybe it's not as consistent as it was when he was in the prime of his career. But the eliteness I am seeing on a semi regular basis, I didn't anticipate that. And again, we talk about this comparison to the bottom six last year. And Chief and I were talking about it, Dave, during the intermissions. I, I mean, I I think you can make a strong case they they may be doing it differently. And they're doing it in different ways. But the bottom six for the Lightning, I think, is turning out to be just as productive in some ways as the bottom six was last year or the last two years for the Lightning. Understanding, again, it may be happening in different areas in different ways. But I think if you were to ask Julian Breezewell, look, this is what you're going to get from these guys this year. I think he would take that every single time. And I maybe he'd be pleasantly surprised from what he's getting from these guys. Well, you can't argue with the point totals. But I think just as importantly, you know, those guys are driving play. And we talked about how good the Belmar line has been. That's why John Cooper really has left them alone. He has no reason to change up that line. I mean, Maroon's no, got doesn't. seven goals. Belmar has been chipping in. Belmar has been almost like you can mark it down nine goals. How many years in a row he's had nine goals. He may eclipse that this year. That would be a bonus. Perry's got ten. And I think you've made this point, Greg. If he had had any kind of puck luck in the first 17, when he was generating a lot of chances, what would his goal total be like? I will counter that because I agree with that, by saying like he scored some sixth attacker goals and you can't always count on those. So maybe he's he's earned some back that that he didn't get rewarded for at the start of the year. But there's no question if you were to say heading into game one as we approach the halfway point of the season for the Lightning, Corey Perry's got 10 goals, they would be very happy with that. I would agree. So no argument for me. I think some of it, too, honestly, from last night, the Lightning faced a team that you figure they should beat this team. I know that we hate to say that. We do hate to say that, In the NHL, you can lose to to any team. You can. And we've seen them lose to the Sabres already this year. But I think this is the point that I was trying to make at the the Open with Columbus where the Lightning – blew out the Blue Jackets. They blew out the Sabres. We weren't seeing that earlier in the year in that so many of the Lightning's games, no matter who the opponent was, were close. I mean, I think they are still tied with Anaheim for the most overtime games this year with 13. They played a lot of close games. They not had many of these 7-2-6-1 type of games. They had one in Philly earlier in the year where they won 7-1, to one. but the number of like what we would call comfortable victories 
have been fairly few and far between for a team that's won as many games as the Lightning. So why is it happening now? I think they're seeing some teams that are are being affected, like I said, by injuries and players being out of the lineup due to COVID. But also, we're heading into the time of the year where we're starting to see some separation. That's a good point. Yep. Between yeah. the teams that are really going to be either in the playoffs or contending for a playoff spot and those teams that are going to come up short. And even Mike Harrington said that this is going to be kind of a setup year for the Sabres, like a bridge a bridge year <laughs> until some of their younger players can really take a big step forward next year. And Columbus got off to a great start this year, but I think the expectation was that they were going to have a tough time this year. And... You know, they lost again last night at home. I think that is proving to be the case. And so when you have that and you're a, a, a team that can expose a, another team, an opponent, where the Lightning have done it is they have just created so many scoring chances against, I'm talking about the Columbus game and the Buffalo game specifically, so many scoring chances where they've scored 13 goals in those two games and, and they probably could have scored double that. So that's not going to happen every night. Certainly didn't happen against the Bruins. It's not going to happen against some of the, the better defensive teams in the league. But when you get an opponent that you can expose, I think the Lightning have done a nice job exposing that opponent. It's a great point. It's it's almost like reality starts to set in, I think, yeah. the longer the season goes on for some of these teams. And you are seeing some separation now. I mean, the flip side to that is, too, you can say maybe one of the reasons the Lightning haven't had a ton of blowout games is they they also haven't had a full roster as well. True. And once yeah. they do get these guys back, maybe you're going to see a little bit more domination from them on the on the score sheet. But then again... But I think I, it depends on the opponent, too. Now, Calgary's in a different boat. I think Calgary... If they're not going to make the playoffs, they're going to be in the running for the playoffs. I do think they're going to make the playoffs. That's why we call that win such an impressive win. Like, the win over Calgary was in many ways more impressive than the victories over Columbus and Buffalo based on the quality of the opponent. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I had a few friends that uh, texted me after that interview with Mike, and and they disagreed with (laughs) Mike about them, the Sabres, being maybe a little closer than Mike anticipates. And, uh, you know, that's a fair point. I mean, I, I... it's one thing, and look, it's it's easy if you're covering the team to some extent when you see some of these guys come in, younger players, Dave, and mm-hmm. to project what they're going to be, even though there's no body of work to back up your projection. I mean, you're not saying Mike was doing that completely, but it's, you know, when you have four or five young players that are going to be playing a prominent role in the next couple of years that haven't necessarily done anything at the NHL level, I think when you see flashes of it in a game when they get the opportunity to play – you're, you're projecting a little bit, saying, well, look, if this guy gets to 25 goals, if this guy becomes a top four defenseman and this goaltender ends up being really good because we saw limited action from them over the last year or two, I, I don't think you're going out on a limb too much when you sit there and say, look, I, I think this team's going to be a lot better and they're closer to mm-hmm. competing because you're just – there's no body of work to suggest that's going to happen, but it, but it's easy for somebody to say that without, I think, any, I don't want to say consequences, because if Buffalo's not any good next year, I don't think anybody's going to be 
surprised. Let's put it that way. The first um, step for them, Greg, they need to get better defensively. Yes, and they did not yes. have a good defensive performance last night. I would agree. Now, with is that. that a one-off? I mean, I remember reviewing for the game. I didn't. I'm going to look at their updated stats. I don't think, and we don't need to spend a ton of time talking about the Sabers, but I don't think the Sabers are like in the bottom two of team defense. They are down there though, so they're they're in the bottom third. Yes of team defense of course they gave up six last night so that didn't help their metrics are not good either this is another thing that mike talked about well the sabers haven't done well in in close games well they're allowing over 34 shots per game and they're only registering just over 29 so basically their differential is allowing five more shots than they're taking which doesn't sound like a lot but over the course of the year that is not a that is not a good metric. No, it's a good point. If if you're going to be underwater in shots, and some teams like the Lightning, like don't just shoot the puck willy nilly, <laughs> like they will hold on to it. You at least want to be close, like within within a shot. Like maybe you're at thirty point two against and and thirty four. If you're at at minus five, that means that you're giving up pretty consistently a lot more shots than you're taking which usually can be tied to less possession if it's that much of a gap then you factor in the fact that they are allowing bottom third goals per game like how do they get better they need to start defending better the lightning had when Derek Lalonde came on with Phil and me in the first intermission and he said yeah it was good not great even though the Lightning were up 2 nothing, because he was talking about the chances the Lightning had allowed off the rush. He's like, having said that, you know, we are protecting the middle of the ice pretty well, and that has been a point of emphasis for the Lightning over the last couple of years and really been one of the reasons why they were able to make the transition from deep playoff team to Stanley Cup champion, not having to rely on Vasilevsky to bail them out when they gave up chances in the slot as much as as much as they had previously. That was a huge problem for the Sabres last night. The Lightning scored six, and every one of their six goals came from the middle of the ice. Yeah. Now, some point. were farther out, like Kucherov's first and third goals were, were longer-range shots, although there was traffic in front of the goalie. But you're giving up those, <laughs> those shots from the hash marks to the net. That's tough. That's tough on your goaltender. And so you can talk about all the the high prospect blue chip guys that are in your organization until the sun goes down. If you can't figure out how to limit chances against, you're going to have a hard time having success in this league. And you know what? The Lightning Some teams can outscore their problems, but it's hard to do that consistently. The Lightning are a good example of that. Yeah. Because what made them become the team they are, not only do they have the skill set to beat you 5-4, 4-3, they became an elite team defensively, Dave, particularly in the playoffs. Now, it doesn't hurt to have the best goaltender in the world, but there was a mindset that needed to happen, and that's what's made, I think, this run with the Tampa Bay Lightning over the last couple of years so incredible. We'll talk more about that when we return at Bolts Radio. If you want to get involved in the conversation you can joe smith had an interesting tidbit last night that the lightning 
maybe doing their due diligence, checked in on Evander Kane. <laughs> How about Ellie that? Ellie Friedman had it, too. Did he have that as well? Okay. Well, whoever had it, I think some fans with the Lightning were raising a few eyebrows. We'll talk about that. Did it have any merit? I, of course it did, but what do you make of that? And uh, best Russian in hockey today. We'll talk about that as well. Also taking your tweets. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Hey, it's Seth Kushner, host of The Block Party, and we just keep the big-time guests rolling this year. Blake Coleman returns home, and he returns to The Block Party for the third time. I talked to Blake about his decision to sign with Calgary when he knew his time was up with the Lightning, and Blake tells me a never-before-heard story about the night before the boat parade. It's The Block Party with Seth Kushner out now wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us on Spotify. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. You know, Dave, I didn't check out all of the the box scores from last night's action, but I did after the Lightning's game last night flip over on my ESPN Plus. And again, if anybody wants to get Andre Vasilevsky, to yeah, ESPN are you Plus, inviting Vasi over? Maybe I'll invite Vasi over to watch a little hockey. I I, I happen to watch another. Russian player make his debut this year, and that was Evgeny Malkin, and he had a couple of goals and assists. Yeah, and he Penguins really... are rolling. Well, you know, you talk about depth, and maybe not quite as good as the Lightning's depth, but they've got some guys now. I mean, and look, they played that game without like five regulars last night. You know, Brian Rust is still out. Mm-hmm. McGinn is out, and I mean, they've had to deal with the the COVID protocols for a while. In addition to a guy like Malkin who's been out with a leg injury. And, you know, there had been some question, Dave, when Malkin comes back to that lineup, is he going to tinker with the chemistry that the the Penguins have built in terms of playing a certain way? Because when Malkin plays, he's kind of a wild card. He's a wild horse. I mean, he's when you watch him play, he does things on that team that not a lot of those players are going to attempt to do. It's part of what makes him, you know, a Hall of Famer. But he was on a line last night with Carter and Kapanen. Now, I think that'll eventually change, but Jeff Carter had a couple of goals last night as well, and they look really good. Um, but that'll be an interesting dynamic. But it, it got me thinking. You know, Kucherov had a hat trick. Malkin had a big game last night, and we talk about you know best Russian today. And I, I think you can make the strong case it's still probably Kucherov. And if it's not Kucherov, it's Vasilevsky. Understanding they impact the game differently, and they play different positions. But there are a number of talented Russian players out there today. I mean, I think we've seen um, a few of them this year. But, you know, that was uh, that was intriguing to watch, you know, especially at his age of 35. Mm-hmm. You know, what was he going to look like coming off a, a major knee surgery? And it would have been good. interesting to see what the Russian Olympic team's roster I know would have looked like. Well, you know, for a number of years, Dave – when you look at least on the surface of the Russian teams, the the elite forwards have always been there. I think the goaltending has been there, although I think this year would have been, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the best in quite some time. Because, I mean, I think most mm-hmm. people would assume it's Vassy, but you had a number of capable players or goaltenders backing him up that yeah. probably could start on any 
given. Who is your backup? Team. I know you're not a huge Bobrovsky fan, but he's had I, a heck of a year. I, I, I mean, look, and I, Varlamov, right? Yeah, I mean, I look. I, if you were to tell me Bobrovsky is going to be his backup, I it, it'd be hard to quibble with you on that. I mean, he's having a tremendous. I mean, it, look, you have to, you still probably have to reward guys for having the season they're having, and Bobrovsky, no doubt, is having a phenomenal year. Although I think it probably would be Shosturkin, right? Yeah, I didn't even mention him. I mean, well, they usually carry three. I mean, look again in the in the alternate universe where the (laughs) NHL players are still going to the Olympics. Yes, there are usually three goalies. And listen, I don't. I understand, and and our buddy um, Kyle Woodley is is somebody that you know has Shosturkin right there with Vassy, probably a notch below. And I, I respect his opinion, be, or Kevin Woodley, I should say. I respect his opinion a great deal because he watches these guys uh, on a on a nightly basis. He breaks the film down. But Dave, there's no there's no internal competition when it comes to overtaking Bassi for being the number one guy for Russia. But the knock on on Russia, I think, and I think rightfully so, over the years has been: do they have enough defense? Mm-hmm. That their their back end has always been a bit suspect. And maybe that's still true today. I'd have to go through every roster and look at who were the Yeah, well, Sergachev would have been on the team. Sergachev would have been in your top four. Orlov would have been on the team. He's a really good player for Washington. Yes. What what have you thought of Artem Zub in Ottawa? He's playing in a top four for them. They know him better than we do. (laughs) Because he he played in the KHL. We're really, we're really digging into that. <laughs> you know, you asked, "What do you think?" But of we've I, seen I haven't Ottawa thought of three him. times. I'm like, this guy Zub isn't bad. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean, though. There's not, like, he's not elite. He's not elite. I mean, that's a fair point, right? I mean, when you look, I, I, you could make the argument again. This, I have to, I have to. So I'm sure I'm missing somebody. Well, you're talking about Russian-born Russian defensemen in the NHL, defenseman. and right Correct. now, it's it's hard for me, other than Sergeyev and Sergei- Orlov, <laughs> yeah, to I think mean, of. Who else the, would it be? The top guys, they are out there, though. I'm just not remembering them yeah, and, right and, now. Yeah, and, and maybe that speaks to the fact that there aren't many of them. <laughs> yeah, the forwards yeah. are easier to for, and the forwards are to dynamic. think of right off, right they off are the top dynamic. of your head. And the goaltenders, too, although I forgot about Shesterkin. Their goaltending and their forwards are as good as anybody. And that you're right, though, Dave. That would have been a lot of fun. The question is, would they have been able to defend the way some of those other countries would have been able to defend. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fair point, and that's always been, I think, the knock on the Russian team. You mentioned Elliot Friedman. I saw it from Joe Smith, but certainly when Elliot has it, you know that there's there's a lot of... Well, Elliot had Edmonton as the team most likely to sign Evander Kane, who was given his release. I'm not quite sure exactly how that works. Because I thought you were kind of locked into the contract. If you're an NHL team, I mean, they must have, they must have exploited a clause in the CBA, which is why the PA filed a grievance because it had to do with protocols. So I think the PA was concerned that if they didn't file a grievance, I think Elliot, not I think Elliot had this in his column that less egregious violations of protocol might also have the same result where teams are getting out of contracts. I think the PA wanted to avoid that. So yeah. they, they they filed the grievance, but it sounds like Kane is going to have a new home shortly. 
and the Lightning were one of the teams that were mentioned, but not really a likely destination. Then I did see that Joe had it in there that the Lightning, it sounded like they kicked the tires on it and decided to move on. But you know the guy that Elliot mentioned that the Lightning are interested in? This is from Elliot. Now tell me, because I didn't so, read this, so this is going to be a surprise for me. Lawson Kraus with Arizona. Really? Well, it's Arizona, Lawson Kraus right? was the best player on the ice when the Lightning played Arizona. Yes, he for was. Arizona, not, yes, for the he was. not in the game. But when the Lightning played Arizona... And they won fairly decisively earlier in the year. That was one of the games the Lightning won comfortably at the start of the year. Mixed in with all those close games they played. Kraus was really impressive. Now, we talked about Jay Beagle yesterday, who's at a way different point in his career. He's 36. He's he's recovering from surgery. Who knows if he's even going to be healthy. He's on an expiring contract. Kraus is young. Kraus is 24. And he's in the last year of a contract that will end, but he's still restricted with arbitration rights. He only makes 1.5. But this is a young player that I'm, if I'm the Lightning were to pry him from Arizona, I have to believe that this guy is part of the future in Arizona. But Elliot had it in there as a guy the Lightning were really interested in. And based on how well he played in that game at Amelie Arena earlier in the year, I have to say I'm not surprised that they're interested. Big, strong winger. I was going to say big body, Dave. Yeah, very big. Former draft pick of the Panthers, and they moved him early in his career. This is a guy that's had a 15-goal season for an Arizona team that's not known for their offense. I mean, again, you kind of look at numbers with a a cautious eye, I think, but that's – yeah. That's that's pretty impressive. Now, yeah, two years ago he had 15 goals. He's got yeah. nine goals this year. I mean that that is impressive. So we're speculating. I should find the article and and no, that's fine. And repeat what Elliot wrote. Verbatim, Was it in his so. 32 thoughts? Yeah. Okay, so it's it, it just came out the last day or two, and I'm sure. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it yesterday before the game. So to me, a guy like that. And again, this is speculation on my end. There is no inside information here. Not that I would share it with anybody. Although, you know, if you paid me enough, maybe I would. (laughs) Uh, To me, the fact that he's young, there's upside, he's not making much, and he's a restricted free agent means, Dave, that there's got to be multiple assets probably going back in return Mm -hmm. for a player of that caliber. When I say caliber, package everything I just told you. I, mean, I, I don't know what his upside is as a player. You mentioned he's 24, he's 6'4". You know, is there an opportunity for him to grow as a player? I mean, obviously. You know, I don't think the, the, the book is written on a player that young. But because of that age, because of what he makes, because of his upside, I think for me, if I'm Arizona, who lo- is looking to acquire as many assets as possible, let's be very clear. I mean, not only apparently is this guy, I don't want to say on the trading block, but certainly Arizona would listen. I'm not sure anybody's an untouchable on that team. No, yeah. maybe they are. I mean, maybe there are. Maybe, maybe you look at that and say, "All right." Um, I, I can't even say uh, Chikrin, right? I mean, he's well. There is talk that he would be made available. That one doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. Well, that's what I mean. Like, Why if you're going to tell me Jacob Chikrin but... is is a guy that's that's not an untouchable, who would be? <laughs> you know what I mean? At yeah. least, especially at the forward position. Anyways, that being said, you would probably have to give up maybe some draft picks and a young player going back. And you know what, Dave, to be honest with you, 
Tampa Bay has the assets to make a move like that, assuming they would. And they've shown that, look, Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow are, are probably the prime examples, and those are two guys who are more accomplished than this guy. Mm-hmm. And look what they gave up to get those guys. So maybe it wouldn't be as great as getting a Goodrow and a Coleman. I, I don't know. But to me, I would think a couple of assets have to go back and return. Well, let me read you what he wrote. Because he started, he, he linked it with the Kane topic. So he starts his column talking about how Edmonton is is the likely destination. Oilers are very much in play here, if not the lead horse. Then he writes, other teams I wonder about are top contenders, teams like Carolina and Tampa Bay. Hurricanes and Lightning believe in their cultures and their leadership. Meaning that Kane has this checkered pass, but if, if we got him, meaning we the Hurricanes or the Lightning, our culture would be a good counterbalance. It would to be that, good form. It would be good form. Right. Yeah. And then there's another really good team like Florida potentially getting involved, especially because they'd rather have him than see the Lightning get him. When Jeff Merrick, okay, so it was Jeff. When Jeff Merrick mentioned last weekend that Boston, well, he said, has Boston has been interested in Lawson and Kraus for almost two years. Another Eastern Conference exec said he was worried Kraus will end up in Tampa. All right, so I didn't say it quite right because he believes that's the kind of player the Lightning are looking for. Both gotcha. are lefty shots. Gotcha. So Elliot didn't say the Lightning are interested in Kraus. Elliot said his partner, Jeff Merrick, said Boston has been interested in Kraus, but another Eastern Conference executive said he was, quote, worried Kraus will end up in Tampa because Kraus is the sort of player the Lightning are looking for. That makes sense. So I'm that glad I read sense. that because that yeah. clarifies no. it a little bit. Yep. But my well, takeaway was – yeah. There are people around the league who think the Lightning might have interest in Lawson Kraus. Yeah, no, it's it's fair. It's fair, yeah. and it's the kind of move that the Lightning, I think, would would at least entertain, and I think they should. All right, partner, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight, or today, yep. I should say, on the show. We'll be with everybody tomorrow noon to 1, and then, of course, we've got the game tomorrow night at Amelie. Lightning are going to be seeing a lot of Western teams. I, I was looking at the schedule, Greg, so heading into the All-Star break however many games the Lightning have left. They only have one game left in that in that schedule block against yep. an Eastern team, the Devils at home. Every other game is against the West. Of course, they go out to California, but we're going to yeah. be seeing an Amelie Arena, Vancouver and Dallas and Vegas and San Jose. Yep. They're all going to be coming. It's going to be fun to see some teams like that that we typically don't get a yeah. chance to see. We'll have all of the coverage for you tomorrow starting at noon. Partner, great job. We'll do it again tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to you for listening. I am Greg Linelli. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.